Well, I'm going to preach a sermon right now, uh, and I'll, I'll preface it by saying this. I'm going to preach a sermon that, uh, from the Bible that's not in the Bible. It's from the Bible, but it's not in the Bible. In fact, to amp it up a little bit more, for those of you maybe just tuning in for the first time, and you're like, um, did I just turn the channel on the TV to a cult? Because that's what I just said. So, so no. So welcome all, anyone, wherever you're tuning in from. Uh, I've never heard a sermon preached on what I'm going to preach about. And I'm a pastor's kid. So I've heard them all. You need to know that what I'm going to share with you, if you begin, like, you heard, you hear, I'll help you, and this isn't heresy or crazy. But you need to know that what I'm going to share with you, I believe personally, is so meaningful, but some have refused to touch it because it is, I think, so personal. So here's where we've been, if you're brand new, because I think it helps us. We're in a series talking about the last, well, very particular, the last four days of Jesus' life. Now, again, that's weird to say the last days of Jesus, because he's alive right now. And if, you, if I, it's a spoiler alert, I'm so sorry, because that's coming, but... But the last four days, as, as for, for years upon years that we've talked about, we've talked about Maundy Thursday. If you, again, if you miss any of this, you can go on the internet, if you have access, and, and catch it. We talk about Maundy Thursday, what that means, and how much God loves us, and how powerful that, that even drives the whole Holy Week, Passion Week, last days, is how much God loves us. Then, then there's Good Friday, uh, which has some bad parts that happen that mean good things, and so it's Good Friday. Now I'm going to talk to you about Black Saturday. I've pitched this idea multiple times to people, and I usually get the same response. You might be thinking it right now, going, I've never heard of Black Saturday. Do, do we go shopping on that day? Is that a day? Is that, what, what in particular is that day? What well, has huge meaning, and so what I want to do is I told you what I'm going to preach from the Bible. It's not in the Bible, but it's in the Bible. Uh, let, me, let me show this to you in the Bible. Joseph took the body, we're talking about Jesus, and wrapped it in a long sheet of clean linen cloth. He placed it in his own new tomb, which had been carved out of the rock. Then he rolled a great stone across the entrance and left. Both Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting across from the tomb and watching it. You go verse 62, the, the next day on the Sabbath, the leading priests and Pharisees went to see Pilate. He's the guy in charge. They told him, sir, sir, we remember what that deceiver, that's what they're calling Jesus. We remember what that deceiver once said while he was still alive. Here's what he said, after three days, I will rise from the dead. So we request that you seal the tomb until the third day. This will prevent his disciples from coming and stealing his body and then telling everyone he was raised from the dead. And if that happens, we'll be worse off than we were at first. Hmm. Pilate replied, take guards and secure it to the best you can. And when the Romans say those kinds of things, you just got to know uh, it was locked tight. So they sealed the tomb, posted guards to protect it. Now here's what's not in the Bible, what I need to preach on now. Because you know what happens next? 
If you've read it before, you know what happens next. You turn the page, at least in my Bible, uh, you turn the page and begin to learn about the resurrection of Jesus. You begin to learn about like, what? I mean, they go back to the two. I don't want to steal too much because I'm going to preach on it you know, the next week, right? But, but in the Bible, there's this, well, we know there's a time frame. There, there's tick, tick, tick. There, there's time. But we don't have like a bunch of stuff written going, and here's what they did. We know what they did. We just don't like to talk about it. They waited. They had an experience that I think uh, tore many of them, tore them at their cores. And, and they didn't have the immediate, you and I, shoot, uh, there used to be a day where you would watch a show and it was to be continued and you had to wait. Like, torture. Now you're like, uh, next episode. Next episode. And you and I now groan about, you mean I have to wait for a whole new season? See, you and I, uh, fascinating enough, waiting torments you and I. There is something in your life, I would argue probably right now, that you refuse to engage the idea that you have to wait on it. And there is tons of things you need to know about waiting that is true about you, but it's not talking about you immediately because some of us will put our defenses up. So let me give you an example. Uh, the Houston airport had a problem. They were getting tons and tons and tons and tons of complaints about the time it took for people to get their bags after they arrived. Anyone ever been there? We're not necessarily Houston, but you're like, what are you doing with my bag? Like, there's, there's got to be, are you, are you remanufacturing it? What's going on? Are you trying on the clothes? It's fine. Just hurry up. So, so what was happening was uh, they were getting complaint after complaint after complaint about the people that would have to wait to get their bags. If you've ever been there, you know that it's annoying that you, you get there and you're like, Ugh, what's taking so long? Uh, well, people are moving things. It's not magic, by the way. So the Houston executives, the, the people in charge of the actual uh, airport, said, we know how to fix this. So they hired more baggage handlers. That's, many of you might, that's how you handle this, right? This, okay, uh, the bags aren't getting to where they need to get uh, as fast, so we need more people to do that. They hired the handlers, uh, and they increased their time and were beating nearly every single airport. It was taking eight minutes. No joke. You landed, well, you didn't land the plane, but you, you, the plane was landed, uh, as soon as they open up the door, within eight minutes, they were able to nearly guarantee that your bags were like going around the carousel, right? They're just eight minutes. Guess what didn't happen? People didn't stop complaining. It didn't. They like were beating everybody and, and nothing. They, like that, they had hired people. It didn't fix anything. So they dug even deeper into what was going on and they came up with a solution that fixed everything. You may not like it. They increased the distance from the gate to the baggage claim. and the complaints nearly went away. The folks who were still, get me, it was still eight minutes. The only thing that changed was where they were coming from and more or less what they were doing while they were waiting. If you were to dig into more research, if you don't know this, MIT has a uh, 
an expert on waiting. <laughs> I need to sit down with this person. And, and his conclusion here is uh, the length of our wait is not as important as what we're doing while we wait. Is what, is what has been concluded. The Houston Airport example proves it, and they now use it in college courses. Uh, let me show you the different types of time. Here's what the experts say. While you're waiting, there is occupied time and there is unoccupied time. What, what they learned was by stretching out the distance of the gate, people were still waiting, but they were occupied. It's called walking, right? Or maybe they threw a a coffee shop between the, if you want to know why they're really there, they're not, they're there, okay, they're there to help you be okay with all that's going on around you as long as you're occupied. But if you're unoccupied, if you're at the baggage claim, staring at it, because this is what I do, just so you know, going, come on, come on, come on, come on, let's do it, come on. Then, then the little siren goes, all right, it's ready to go. And then that, nope, they're tricking me. It's still five more minutes. I don't know why they did that. And I'm just staring and staring. What's taking so long? Man alive, this place takes forever. No. Think, think about our version of torture these days. A waiting room with no phones, TVs, magazines, or anything. You and I call it solitary confinement. Right? The deeper thing is, is that you and I have an issue with waiting. In fact, here's my guess. Whether you're watching forever on TV, whatever, I, I'm telling you, there are some of us right now on the edge of our faith in God himself, questioning his very existence because you have been waiting on him to do something and still it's tick, 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 and God doesn't appear to be showing up. If you want to know one of the potential dangers that the devil's going to use against you and your faith in God is waiting and how good you are. It's this about God. Waiting on God can feel like unoccupied time. Because you and I don't wait on God and, and have this natural tendency to say, hey God, I know I asked you, I'm cool with your timing. You do whatever you want to do, whenever you want to do it. When it gets personal, you're like, no, I actually know exactly what you ought to do uh, and when you should do it. Waiting on God can destroy our faith. I wrote down, perhaps some of these resonate with where you are or have been. A hospital waiting room, if you've never been in one, when you're with someone that you care about, you understand, just tell you, when you're waiting for a doctor to tell you what you're desperately wanting to know, even though you desperately don't want to know it, that waiting will do things to you that you never thought possible. A funeral home, I've been there many times, waiting for whatever's next, and you don't even know what's next, waiting for someone to tell you where to go. waiting on test results. For those of you in the military, waiting during a deployment, on a deployment, where are we going to go? And you wait, and you wait, and you wait, and you wait, and you wait. And it torments you. Students, um, I don't know if this resonates, it was when I was a kid, uh, waiting to know what your parents would say. Dot, dot, dot. Waiting, waiting to, to figure out what am I going to, I'm supposed to graduate soon, what am I going to do? Everyone's asking me. If you're a senior, you know how annoying that is. What are you doing? I have no idea. But I'm going to tell you I'm going to be a doctor. When you're, when you're waiting, it, it's tough. 
uh, waiting to get pregnant. And maybe that's not happening for you. Or maybe you're in the stage of pregnancy happened and you're like, has it been 30 months? When is this kid going to come? Uh, Waiting for an opportunity that you desperately want. Perhaps you've applied for it, earned it, gone after it. Waiting for an answer that you've been asking a question over and over and over and over again and you're not getting it and you're just waiting for the answer and the answer and no one seems to, you get all, none of the answers are landing and you're like, God, where are you? Uh, I can show you, not in picture form, but in word form, the graphic perspective of waiting and why it grips our hearts and why most of us are not good at it. It's because we're in the middle of this. What was is no more. Whatever that was for you. Might have been a dating relationship or even a marriage or a person that you just cared about or a thing at school or work or whatever. But, but what was is no more. And many of us try to deny this so we don't have to enter the waiting phase. But then what's next is what, what is to come is unknown. So you're left in the middle and the middle's horrible, is it not? I hate the middle. There's a reason that if you ever fly on an airplane, the middle seats are the last to go. Because they're the worst. They're all, no one else, you're looking at me, people are looking at me like, no, I love the middle seat. No, you don't. The, the, the middle is torturous because nothing's playing out in your life. You've got dreams, aspirations, and hopes, and wishes, and, and you want conclusions. Sometimes, if you've ever been like, you know, I just want to know the answer, whether, no matter how difficult it is, I just want to know what it is so I can deal with it, but you don't have that because you're in the middle. You're waiting. And that's exactly what happened on Black Saturday. I don't know if it frustrates you at all. It's always frustrated me that when Jesus is on the cross and we have all these epic things that he says and does, and and if you don't know what happens, he he dies for our sins. It it redeems us. It's a powerful moment. But he's eventually, you know, taken off the cross. And a part of the, call it a part of the the role or the duty of the people crucifying is that when you took the person off the cross, you made sure they were dead. That's, That's a part of the gig. And what gets me, what's always frustrated me, because I don't like how God works all the time, that, that as soon as he's proven dead, why didn't then, why not right then Jesus say, all right, I'm alive again? Like, why not in that, why not in that moment? Like, if, it's, if he's proven dead and no one has to be like, well, maybe he never really died. And, but if the Romans prove it, God, why make us wait? Some of you are like, well, it's only three days, David. I mean, yeah, but when things get personal, three days, does it not seem like an eternity? Three days. See, this is why we don't talk about Black Saturday. It's because it's not fun to talk about. But nobody, nobody escapes the reality of Black Saturday. Every one of us 
we'll at one point in our life find ourselves waiting on God to do what we desperately want and need him to do. And the answer will not arrive as soon as we pray it. And our faith will be on the line. So I want to bring you into what uh, Christians have done, uh, well, for a long, long time. I can't even find when exactly it played out. But I learned that in ancient Christianity, they began to look at the tomb and talk about the tomb in a different way. And and here's the term, and it it seems corny at first, but this is Christians right off the bat began to look at the tomb and consider the tomb and talk about the tomb. The tomb became a womb. Rather it being this, this signature sign of, of this moment that, uh, that, that God lost or, or we, had to, we had to wait and we hated it and, and the grieving over that. They're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Something significant happened in this moment. This waiting was necessary. And, and they began to talk about the tomb. Not like, you, know, you and I don't, I mean, come on, I don't like talking about death and, and funerals and Graves and tombs, that's like, no. And they begin to speak of it as, no, it was in that moment that things began to happen. Things began to stir. The tomb became a womb. Uh, if, you, if you want, I want the story I told earlier about the baggage. Uh, give us something to do while we wait, and the wait becomes endurable. If you're like me, who I, mean, I grew up in the church, and I've heard sermons on waiting. Oh, yeah. And you know what the punchline is from the pastor person? Wait. And I'm like, you took that long to get to that point? So the answer to waiting is, what? I think there's more to this than just to tell you, hey, you're waiting? <laughs> Keep at it. There, there's, there's more, and so I want to I bring up a guy named Isaiah. So, so like I told you, i got to talk to you about something that's in the Bible that's not in the Bible, so to do so, I've got to go to another part of the Bible to kind of shine some light on what the Bible doesn't say about what the Bible actually says. Very confusing. Watch it later. Uh, so Isaiah is a guy that, that, that God chose uh, to speak through. God would use this guy, that we, we call them prophets, and would speak through him, and, would say, and, and if God wanted like, something to be like everyone to, for it to land, like you got to get what I'm saying, he would use this person, this prophet. So Isaiah was notoriously known as the guy who spoke on behalf of God. So when Isaiah spoke, people were like, mute everything else. Because to them, they didn't see Isaiah as some celebrity. No, 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 it was God is speaking. So Isaiah is... Uh, is it's with a group of people who keep getting uh, taken captive by other countries over and over and over again. Like, it would seem to be a game the world was playing with Israel. They would literally, a, a, a nation would like, take them over, we got you! And then another nation would be like, hey, we saw that, that looks like fun. We're going to take Israel from you too. And it just began to over and over and over. Just, so you've got a group of people who feel like life is like this way and that way and just like throwing punches at them nonstop. Sounds like, like life, right? Where, where you have one day that's like, well, that's tough. And then another day comes and you're like, we, we use phrases like when it rains, it pours. Or, or how do I have a target on my back? That kind of life, that's what the Israelites were facing in Isaiah. Uh, they're looking at Isaiah like, hey, uh, does God have anything to say about this? 
So what we have in the Bible is what we believe to be from God delivered through Isaiah that I think applies very specifically. Uh, You can find Isaiah chapter 40. Yet those who wait for the Lord, there's that wait word and that's annoying, I know, but hold on. Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. So let's isolate a portion of this before we start just like, what? Yet those who wait on the Lord, point number one, I don't even have a slide for this, but yet those who wait, it means not everyone waits on the Lord. I think that's a part of what should be brought up with Black Saturday is that not everyone is willing to wait on God even though God's timing is proven to be perfect. If you want to know the tension, perhaps the one we don't speak of, the one that might have messes with your faith and you're wondering, can I bring this up at church or does a pastor feel this? Yes, 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 yes. This tension of am I willing to wait on the God that I can't see right now? Yet those who, who wait for the Lord, who wait for the Lord. So I can dig in for you. The wait for word is a big, big deal. It was, it was a better terminology. Those who expect God to do something. Those, those, no matter what's going on, no matter what anyone's told you or you've experienced in life, whatever, these folks, what God wanted them to hear is, what are you expecting of me? If you want a deeper conversation, if you want me to, instead of just saying, hey, you got a wait problem, start waiting, keep waiting, okay, good job, wait, 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 then let's go a little bit deeper, a little bit deeper is, what do you even expect of God? Do you expect him to match your timing or the perfect timing? Is your expectation of God and what you're expecting is that he remove all your problem? Most of us say, no, just the ones I don't want. Right. I think this pushes, this kind of scripture talks about what are you expecting of God, brings up a question I want, I want you to ask uh, of yourself. Uh, will you wait? Will I wait? Are you willing to wait on God? One of the most crucial questions a follower of Jesus Christ can ever ask is, am I willing to wait on God, at, go at his pace, his direction? And if you want to know if that's frustrating, yes, sometimes he surprises you and goes faster than you expected. And you're like, whoa, and we call those blessings, right? We're like, man, God, you're amazing at your timing. But when it's negative, we, we frankly, we question the timing. I, 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 my, my, my job, my calling, is partly to make sure you're asking the right questions. And it's not, will God do everything you want? It's will you wait on him? And these folks uh, way back then saw life differently than you and I do. Just so you know, their answer wasn't always that God would heal them or fix it. Do you know what they were wondering about God and expecting God had learned, had been trained by God himself to do? Is they had learned that from God to expect of him was to expect that he would do something with what was going on. It's that somehow God would redeem the moment. Maybe, maybe my diagnosis stays with me, but somehow God uses it. So my expectation is not that God fixes all my problems. My expectation is, is that God intervenes in this and does what glorifies him the most in this. And they begin to expect that. Now, sure, they're human beings. going. And if any part of your plan involves us having a much easier time right now, please, 
Roll that one out. But if you're like me, I get argumentative, at least in my own brain. What happens if I don't wait? Well, uh, that's what the Scripture said. Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. I'm going to go into the weeds on this because I know some of the original language here. Will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. A better word there is to understand power. That means if you do not wait on God, you sacrifice, forfeit power that he would like to use in your life. There is power that that he he has, and if you refuse to wait on him, you actually disqualify yourself and say, I'm not going to be, the power I want, I'm not going to get it. They will mount up with wings like eagles, meaning that you're waiting, what many of us might call a a stall out. That's what we treat waiting as, like, no waste time. And what, what most of us do is we go to our phones. But waiting according to God is an advancement the opportunity to get over some of the mountains that you're desperately hoping to get beyond. They, they will run and not get tired. Uh, this was not just like, a, you know, I need a quick little breather. This, this was like an exhausted kind of tired. If right now you're exhausted, you and God and life, if you refuse to wait on him, you will stay at that exhausted state. Uh, this is what gets me, not, not become weary. That sounds so like eloquent and pretty. <laughs> a, 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 an actual original word is collapse. Uh, they won't collapse. Do you know some of your rock bottom moments, if not most of them, maybe all of them? Many of the things that we've decided to, to do on our own because we didn't like God's timing or his design, his will, his commands, his, what he wanted, and we found ourselves at rock bottom. Oftentimes we found ourselves in collapse because we refused to wait on God. Uh, an author, uh, I don't know if you are familiar with him, Ben Patterson, what God does in us while we wait is as important as what it is we're waiting for. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I'll tell you, I'll admit right now, I often put what I'm waiting for well above what God wants to do in me. So if you want a deeper, more uh, mature conversation about waiting, it's about expecting, but it's it's also about are you allowing God to do something in your very soul? And if you're unwilling to wait, that work doesn't get done. Um, Another author, Henry Nouwen, uh, wrote about uh, the circus, but in particular, he wrote about the trapeze artist. At least that's what I grew up calling them. Um, If you don't know, I used to be a professional. I'm just kidding. No, I, not at all. Uh, What he what he actually knew. some actual trapeze artist. I, I don't. And so I'm going to take his word for it. But I found this very interesting. I, you need to look at this picture because it's very important. Um, the terminology, uh, you have a flyer and a catcher. I don't, do you need me to detail who, who is whom? I, I think you, you have a flyer and a catcher. Now, I've watched this and been like, that's cool. Not thought much further beyond the mechanics of what's playing out. But here's what you need to learn about what's going on. The flyer 
if he starts to uh, flap his arms, which if you're, just so you know, if you're 20 to 30 to 40 to 50 feet in the sky and there's someone who needs to catch you, you know what most of us are doing? We're, I mean, you're, you're, you're grabbing for your, your life. That's what you do. It, there's a natural tendency. That's why they say it's, it's very dangerous to, when you go rescue a drowning person because it's not like they're going, oh, thanks for coming. Typically, they're fighting for their life, and they're grabbing, they're grabbing, they're grabbing, they're grabbing, and they're, it's, it's, it's life, they're just fighting for it. And this similar thing here is, is if you're going to be a good flyer, what you're supposed to do, should any of you take up this career, while you're flying, you do not move your arm. In fact, if you play or try to play any role in a catching the catcher, the catcher probably won't catch you. It is entirely the job of the catcher to do all the catching. And that is what waiting is called. Waiting is where you and I are willing to not flap our arms and risk everything. Hoping, and it's called faith, <laughs> that God will grab. So uh, to sum it up, uh, waiting on God is an act of trust. If you ever talk about waiting, you should talk about trust. I'll take you to, if you want a, a verse, I think it's helpful in Psalms. Uh, be still in the presence of the Lord. Be still. I thought this is so fitting for being the catcher and the flyer. Uh, be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him, for him to act. Black Saturday is not a picture of the cross. I have no beautiful a trinket of a phrase to tell you that it's like, that's exactly what I needed. The lesson of Black Saturday is, will you wait on God? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, do a work in our very souls. Lord, that's for those who are on the verge. Lord, would you bring us back and help us to wait on you? Lord, before the resurrection shows up on our hearts, Lord, would you begin to do a work in our heart that we would be willing to trust you, to, to be okay with your timing, to be okay with your actions, or be okay with what you choose not to do. God, help us to trust you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.